Willie do. What a day. You know? Last night, I apologize, but I'm going to have to, I had to do a quick, like a little, a quick sports recap. Okay? Because it just, my goodness, what an experience. I got to give a shout out, Kawhi Leonard, Toronto Raptors. Uh... The greatest sporting moment. I don't. I mean, even if you don't like sports, I just got to touch on this real quick. For those of you that don't know or don't follow, uh, game seven, basketball game last night, Toronto Raptors, Philadelphia 76ers. Game seven, elimination game. Loser goes home. Loser goes for a nap. Loser goes to play golf, they used to say. And this guy, Kawhi Leonard, he puts up 40-plus points. And with less than a second on the clock, hits the most magical shot. Arguably, greatest, potentially greatest shot. The only time, actually, in NBA history that a Game 7 winner was sunk at the buzzer. It was an incredible feat. I just got to give him a shout. Of course, I'm biased. I'm here in the Toronto market. Been watching the Raptors since the Vince Carter days. Uh, But it was just a special moment. It got me thinking. I put out a funny tweet. It was meant to be fun. Because uh, because last night you either could have been watching that game or you could have been watching Game of Thrones. Nothing but love for the Game of Thrones people. We got him in the house today. Kirk, Game of Thrones, Willie Do, Game of Thrones. So I just said, so, so you were watching Dragons and Wizards instead of this? I think people were mad at me because I, I said Wizards. Like, <laughs> like, there's no Wizards in Game of Thrones, is that correct? No, there aren't. Anyway, what I was trying to say is that this had all the makings, all the drama... All, all, all the years in real life, all, all the, all the buildup that you could ever possibly need. For those of you that don't know about Kawhi Leonard specifically, this guy, he had a, a pretty tough upbringing, a uh, rough part of California, Los Angeles. His dad was killed. His dad was shot when he was uh, rather young. And I think his uncle actually helped raise him. He just, he just has, he just has a, a, a really amazing story to bring him to this point. And, and when I'm seeing that shot go up, I'm kind of seeing all of that. I'm seeing his experience that he had last year. He was injured. He didn't play that much. And to sort of uh, emerge, to time it, to have it bounce the way that it did, to send the other squad home, to to pull out the emotion. This is a guy who who typically doesn't emote that much. You've seen his interviews, if you have. He has trouble, like, conjuring up even your, your basic... He doesn't seem to like interviews, which is, which is fine. Maybe he put all that bandwidth into basketball. It's quite possible. But this is just a special, special moment. It's one of those moments that is real. You know it's real, but somehow it still feels scripted. It seems impossible that it could occur in real time. And that's the way it felt when I was watching it. So I just had to give that shout out. I'm not going to go too deep. This ain't a sports show. But like, even if you don't like sports, and even if you you see a game of basketball and all you see is a couple of dudes playing with a ball, then you got to appreciate the entire story. If you zoom out and you see all the activities and all the practice and everything that they had to prepare a person, an individual for that moment, and what it really means, what it really says, when you face adversity, what you can take from this and put into your life, it's all right there if you know what to look for. So forget about the ball, forget about the guys, and just picture the whole story. 
and picture whatever that task is actually in your particular scope that's difficult when the odds are stacked against you. Because let me tell you something. He had Joel Embiid jumping in his face seven feet plus. He had to sky that thing in the air. Some people are saying it's a lucky shot. Uh, what was the thing, Kirk? What did Shannon Sharp say this morning? Luck is when preparation meets opportunity. I like that better. That seems more productive to me. Anyhow, shout out, Kawhi Leonard, Toronto Raptors. We got to go face a real tough squad now. But anyhow, we'll bring us into uh, something technology related to people they care. They're waiting. They're looking. You got something ridiculous here. Louis Vuitton's flexible screen handbags are the definition of extra. Uh, I'd say so, yeah. So we are looking at tech, a tech-infused handbag. You know anything about handbags, Will? I mean, if it has that pattern, it costs money. I'll tell you what. I know that. I'll tell you what. If it has that pattern, it costs a couple. It costs the, remember we talked about the bake sale money? Mm-hmm. That's a bake sale right there. Now it's got screens in it. Every, everyone's trying to evolve. The flexible OLED screen thing is uh, all the rage. It's not just folding smartphones. It's not just Galaxy Fold. Everybody wants it including Louis Vuitton, and uh, the fashion world is ready to (laughs) innovate. (laughs) I mean, it looks pretty cool. It looks futuristic. It's got some Blade Runner vibes to it. Uh, Is there any application beyond uh, showcasing extravagance? Probably not. Now, on the same topic of Louis Vuitton, a lot of people have been asking me to review the Louis Vuitton earbuds, fully wireless earbuds, they're like a thousand bucks, and I haven't I haven't pulled the trigger and ordered them yet, but I don't know. I guess you guys can let me know in the comments if that's really a demand. I can't imagine them being that good, though. That said, they are based on a pre-existing set of headphones. I think from a company called Master and Dynamic, and they're just like they have the Louis Vuitton logo, so they cost more. So they might not be that bad, but probably not worth the thousand dollar price tag. I suppose I could take a look. But what is this about? Like, what's happening in in the technology world that a luxury brand like Louis Vuitton is trying to jump into it now with a couple of different products? Of course, the bag they were showcasing is part of their 2020 show. So it's not like you can buy this thing right now. And I'm sure if you could, it would be about a billion dollars because the regular bag is is already a couple thousand bucks from what I understand. I don't have one. I don't know. I'm I'm not in that scene, so to speak. Yeah, it seems like this one is just prototype right now. It's just a prototype. AMOLED display. Two AMOLED displays. 1920 by 1440 resolution. It's like, it looks like a couple of iPad minis in there, as far as I can tell. And uh, she walks it down the runway. Is it ever going to be a real product? Or are they just, are they just trying, to, trying to say, hey, we're not getting left behind. We're coming with the times. If Samsung can fold the screen, which apparently, I mean, they barely can at this point. We already know they barely can, though I think they will. Then uh, Louis Vuitton, they want to they want to bend the screen too in a different way. Yeah, they want to try something new. And uh, utility is uh, way down the list here. Like a lot of fashion items, it's it's form first, function later. Uh, unlike the tech world, where it seems to be function first and form later. He's bringing. Will's giving me a little example here of the fashion world, the Met Gala. Man, I don't even know. I, don't, I feel like I'm so out of my league with this that like anything I say is going to be offensive to someone who is in this league, but it's basically a Halloween party. Is it? 
I can't even say that. Zombies is like, how dare you? Avant-garde. Jared Leto. There's a lot going on. But, you know, the thing is, it's an artistic outlet. It's kind of like a, like a, a song or a movie or a, even a tech product. It's like, it's creativity. So you have to have some appreciation for that. Put together something creative and striking. But the whole package is a bit odd. Like, we look at it and then what do we take away? I don't know. What do I take away from this dude? Just, just wildness. Like, it's not, obviously, again, the utility is down the list on this one, which is all right. I mean, there's a lot of stuff like that. But anyhow, tech, tech has the potential to, to interact, even in the fashion world, according to Louis Vuitton. And uh, maybe that'll be a big part in the future. Maybe it'll be, like Jack was suggesting, a t-shirt that's just OLED. Your whole shirt is OLED. Your pants. You got like a screen on your thigh. I don't know. What do you do? What are you doing? You're interacting. That's what Will, you always, you always wanted that, Will. Well, maybe it can like check your health, like health. vitals or something. Vitals, on-demand vitals all the time, OLED, everywhere. Yeah, like your training in sports, yeah. something athletic. Yeah. Just have it on you. I don't know. I, mean, like I think that. this I is one know. of those cases, and I mean, I've even heard this case made with folding phones. It's one of these cases where the hardware, the tech itself is almost ahead of the application. It's like... Everybody kind of knows that these panels are interesting and present new opportunities for, for where screens can live. I remember when I saw the original, uh, some of the original applications at CES and they were like wrapping it around a post, advertising. It's really, there's a lot of ways that it can go, but still no one has pinpointed. We talked in the previous episode about Google having their own foldable phone prototype and not really knowing or not admitting at least that the killer application is there yet. This is like that. This is why this is a prototype. It's Louis Vuitton saying like, we don't want to be left out. We can do something cool with this, but not necessarily putting their stamp on it and saying, buy this thing now because the application, we're still kind of waiting on the application. The hardware is here, the application, not so much. Whether it's a purse or a foldable phone, we're waiting for things to really make their case to us in a finished type of package. This is another good example. The most futuristic flexible display phone this was on unbox therapy and who was the manufacturer of this it was was it nubia, nubia. it was a, it's called it was called the nubia alpha you can go check it out it's this smartwatch, but the screen extends around the wrist and you can interact with it through air air style gestures above it and again it's like wow that's really cool at first glance it's an amazing thing to see but from a practicality standpoint there's a lot of glare on it. The whole thing is heavy. And the application isn't really all that much better than a typical smartwatch. And so, again, this is a case where the hardware is ahead of the application. And this happens in technology from time to time. And then it's up to creative individuals to figure out why you need this new thing and to showcase it to you and to make the case. And this is, this is, this is precisely the issue with foldable phones. And... Louis Vuitton's even further from the proper proposition of like why you should have this thing. But maybe in a way, like fashion, they don't really have to explain it. Just like the Met Gala. They could just be like, here's the thing. Yeah, it's art. Get it. It's, it's art. You just need it. Mm -hmm. This is the rage, all the rage right now. You just need it. So get it. Maybe they can make that case. Anyway, it looks kind of cool as far as I'm concerned. All right, I got one here, Will. Uh, Apple card packaging leaks. 
The two new colors will replace the current blue and coral colors. So I guess this, uh, this Apple card, you remember that from the keynote? Mm -hmm. It's getting closer to, uh, to being released. And we're seeing a physical, uh, a physical rendition of what this card is going to look like. And the packaging is going to come in. It looks futuristic. Sort like, of does, yeah. The card itself really is kind of cool that there's like not a lot of stuff on it. Mm -hmm. Because if, you, if you've seen a modern card, it's got like stuff all over it. Now, the number for one. And then a lot of other little language that they fit on there, especially on the back. Now, this one shows the back, and the back doesn't say very much either. It says Goldman Sachs MasterCard. It's a kind of interesting product in the sense that you have, you have your criticism of the like financial aspect of it, where it's like, why is Apple getting involved in your finances? And also debt creation. Some a lot of people have, uh, have feelings about that. Like if it's... Uh, not not everyone enjoys the whole credit card experience. Some people feel that it, you know, with the high interest rates and, and whatnot, it could be a predatory uh, industry, and not and not a place you would typically expect a technology company to be. So there's that angle, the product in that sense. But then there's the product in the physical sense, like the actually the actual card itself. If we're going to have cards. Can, can, it, can the card be innovated on? Does it have to look the way it looks? And it's funny because this is just a card, but it feels like an Apple product. The product, the physical thing, it, would, it fits in with the rest of your Apple ecosystem. It's almost like this is one of those cases where you might get this as an Apple fan, not me specifically, but as an Apple fan, just to complete the kit. The everyday carry. Do you know what I'm saying right now? Yeah. Like, like you might not even like look at the the financial, the paperwork. Be like, oh, the interest rate's kind of high over here or whatever. You might not even examine that. You might be less likely to because you're like, that product rounds out my everyday carry. Because if you think about it, you don't carry that many things on a daily basis. You got your phone. You got your card, which is usually one, maybe two. Maybe you got an ID. And your key, if you have a car, you don't carry that. And then your laptop, if you have one, or maybe an iPad, you don't carry that many things every single day. So Apple's like, I want, we want to wipe out any other brand you carry besides us. It's almost like a fashion item in that sense. And when you pull that thing out, it's also going to send an immediate message because it looks so different than any other card. So it's an interesting play from Apple in the sense that it's the two pieces, typically in the financial sector, the product is on the back end. It's the service. It's what it does for you. You don't really care that much about the card physically, with the exception of some fancy American Express ones, which make, you know, they think about the, the card itself. But this is the first time in a big way that you're having the card be the product almost as much as what's happening on the back end with the charges and the points and whatever else you get out of the card. So it's interesting. It's definitely a cool looking card. I'm not suggesting you. I'm not suggesting you go create a bunch. You go get a bunch of debt for yourself. Uh, that's. I'm not in that camp. I think you should probably save a few dollars. You should probably only use debt every so often if you need to. I mean, that's my feeling. And I think I do think it's weird that Apple's getting involved in this space. I don't think it's. I, I don't think it's the best look for them. But the card itself, kind of cool. Are you gonna get one? 
I mean, I feel like I, I would want to get one just to evaluate just to try it. it out. But uh, it is a weird, it's a weird thought because so far in the tech world, we were already contributing so much data. We're contributing so much of ourselves to our, to the, to tech companies, whether it's Google, Apple, Amazon, they know so much about us. And this is one of those ways where I understand Apple is talking all about privacy and all this stuff. And, and I have no reason to not believe them personally, but it's one of these things of like, do you want some degree of separation between your, your tech companies and the information you contribute to them and maybe your purchases, maybe just a little, a little bit of separation. Uh, so I'm a bit apprehensive from that standpoint. Obviously it's backed by Goldman Sachs, a typical financial company, but I just don't need another credit card. Well, you know, and I, I feel like I'm not alone. I feel like there's a lot of people out there that d just don't need another credit card. Mm -hmm. So are they going to cancel a card to get this card? This is a good opportunity to ask the audience. Are you interested at all? Or are you like, man, just like services, I got enough debt. If you got enough debt already, the last thing you're thinking about is your next card. Now, I understand they got some rewards and stuff. And if you shop a lot at the Apple store, there's some perks to this one. But I don't know. The whole thing just has a weird flavor to it. Because here's a company, Apple, that brought us the iPhone. And now they got a, now they're, they're giving you points on your card. It's just, I don't know. It's a bit of, it's weird. I don't think it's ever going to be less weird. Even once I start to see these things out there, it's still going to feel weird to have Apple responsible for your finances in any kind of meaningful way. But maybe it's the future. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, I got another story here. TV networks emerge as obstacles on YouTube's hunt for ads. So... Well, we're on YouTube right now. You, you might be consuming this on YouTube. You might be listening to the audio form in a podcast. But apparently, even though we, we, us here, are all very futuristic watching less and less cable TV, cable TV is doing well on the ad front. And it appears the reason is that advertisers are still afraid of what might happen on YouTube. They're still afraid of what I might say. Or you, Will. Who knows? You might say something crazy. Or somebody else for that matter. We've had the adpocalypse stuff happen. And I know a lot of people were mad at YouTube, like uh, uh, screaming and yelling, saying, where's my ad revenue personally? But it turns out that's not really the whole thing. Like at some point, YouTube can only do so much to make the case that you should advertise there. You get to, as an advertiser, choose where you want to spend those dollars. And if you think it might create a headache for you down the road, you're going to decide what the value of that potential headache or the lack of that headache is worth. And that's your right to do so. You're spending the cash. So this particular article here, uh, TV business has not, is not dead yet. As much as uh, guys like us continue to cut the cord, and I'm sure lots of viewers out here are doing the same, it's ultimately advertising that supports businesses like ours here on YouTube and your typical t television stations. And what these different categories are able to do is in some way tied into the revenue they're able to generate via advertising. There are some new models that have emerged with different types of subscriptions. Of course, Patreon and all the various versions of that and people paying for the content that they want to get. But it's still mostly advertising. And that's Google and Alphabet's entire backstory is using advertising to subsidize 
content. And I have to say, I'm in this position right now because of advertising, right? Like this content exists because the partner program existed. And I had a, a method for generating revenue from my own personal interests and videos like this. And so it's a, it's a deep relationship there. The other thing about advertising, as much as people hate it, and, and it can be terrible, and I feel that way many times as well, the alternative universe isn't necessarily better in that you pay for everything you get because that has its own discrimination baked into it, which is like, what content do people who don't have the money, what do they get? They can no longer exchange their time and attention for the thing they want to get on the other side. That transaction is no longer available to them in, a, in an environment where everything is pay to play. Now, I understand benefits, drawbacks, both sides. I'm not saying one is perfect and the other is not. But in the meantime, advertisers are not spending probably as much as they should from a CPM perspective on YouTube, opting instead for your, your standard NBC, CBS, Viacom stuff. Even if that's an aging group of people watching those networks, even if it might not be their target audience, because you got people, you got executives, they don't want to stir anything up. They don't want to lose their job because somebody said something. That's a nightmare. They got to go home. They got to bring the kids to ballet and baseball practice. And so a lot of this just comes down to this, how easy it is to just continue, let the, let the ball keep rolling on the TV department. And you can see here, uh, they like, what is the one? Carpool karaoke. They love it. <laughs> they, it's safe, pristine. I think the word pristine is easier. Yeah. The Late Show with James Corden. So that goes out on CBS, I guess. And then, and then the clips end up on YouTube. And they don't mind spending money there because they know it's pristine. Now, I know there's a lot of people angry out there, content creators and audience members that are like, look, I want to watch what I want to watch. I want to watch something that's mature, for example, or maybe slightly unsavory. And I want to support that. And I think the ads should be there. And I, I'll even buy the stuff that's in the ads. There's a lot of people out there that might be, might be willing to say that. But you're not the one, ultimately, that calls the shot on that, even though it feels like you should be. If an advertiser just decides they don't want a headache and they're willing to get a, a diminished ROI on a purview basis because of that, that's well within their ability to do so. And we, our entire business models here on the platform have to adjust to meet that exact demand, whether justified or not, if we want to continue to exist. So anyway, anyhow, I thought it was an interesting story. I, I think we're going to see more diversification on the internet from a revenue perspective because this is not figured out yet. It's still, the money's probably still going where it shouldn't. And because of that, you're going to continue to see merch and creators find other ways to diversify their business models in the absence of potentially getting the advertising revenue that, that people are used to getting or companies are used to getting on television. Um, I got another one here. Uh, this one's kind of cool, different pace. The oldest surviving Porsche prototype from 1939 set to be auctioned off. And this is interesting. It's actually a Canadian firm that has it right now. This thing looks insane. Like, I can't believe somebody designed that in 1939. I have no idea what it's going to fetch at auction. Maybe there's an estimate there. But like, this thing looks like an actual spaceship. A dude made this out of sheet metal 
1939, built by Ferry Porsche, the actual guy, after the Second World War. Like, talk about vision. You want to talk about the, the Met Gala. This guy, just their imagination in the automotive segment, back then, it was like no rules. It was like, draw it up, and let's see if we can do it. At least that's the way this product right here feels. So, anyhow, it's going to go up for auction. The people who collect these things are wild. Like, this is... I don't know if it'll be the most expensive car auctioned off ever. I mean, the guy, um, the guy who started Porsche, Ferdinand Porsche, was tasked by the Nazis to build an economic people's car. All right, that's the history of Porsche itself and the founder. His son, Ferry Porsche, took it upon himself to design a race car Germany could use in competition. So this is the son of the guy who started the entire company, who developed this. And so they're stating here it's the oldest surviving Porsche in the world. It's crazy. The lights still work. The headlights. The headlights still work. The electronics still work. I mean, it kind of looks like a fighter jet, sort of, of the era, like what they might have used. Uh, apparently, it is 32 horsepower. <laughs> but it had a top speed of 173.5 kilometers an hour. Maybe because of how aerodynamic it is, it could just continue to... It doesn't look like it has a lot of drag on it once it picks up steam. So they don't give a speculation on what they think it's going to sell for. I'm sure there's some like automotive nuts in the comments that can make a comment on that and tell us what you think this thing could fetch, but it's just crazy how cars nowadays have just become so similar comparative to this. Like you don't even notice it. You just get used to it. You're on the road. All the, all these cars look alike. And then you got you you just you head back to 1939 and it's like, "Oh, wait. Man, there used to be some serious creativity in that space." Now, who uh, nowadays there's other there's restrictions and yeah, you have a lot to, of safety protocols. You, you have the Highway Institute and and whatever else. And so there's obviously it's it's harder to do something like this, but cool nonetheless. I wanted to share it. Uh you know what we have to talk about, Will? We got to talk about this James Charles stuff, dude. Uh -oh. Now, look, I'm just, I'm putting my hands up right now because this is a community. This is an environment that I am, I am over my head. Like, I'm out of my league. I'm out of my league on this. I just, I need, I feel, I'm. that's the disclaimer I'm putting from the jump. I'm out of my league. But I had to pay attention because of the sheer, the sheer scale of it. The scale of it is bananas, and now it has implications across YouTube, regardless of the segment that it emerged from. Obviously, I make tech videos on YouTube and have been for years now, so I'm intimately involved in the space through that lens. But every so often, some situation in some other segment emerges as like this, this major deal, this... Uh, at a scale that I never even knew possible that kind of acts as an indicator as to how important or significant this platform has become as a whole, regardless of which segment you want to look at. So a little bit, bit of backstory here. This guy, James Charles, had had somewhere in the neighborhood of 16 million subscribers. Had. It might have been even close to 17 when the whole thing started. It was 16 and a half. 16.572 million subscribers. As of recording this video, he is now at 
1.7 million subscribers. You're talking about the migration of 2 million people? More. Almost 3 million people. The migration of almost 3 million people to this point right now. To, 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 comp to change their behavior, to click an unsubscribe button to say, I am done with an individual human being. Now, it would be unfair to bring this up without giving a little bit of context as to how this all happened, but my understanding is it was a series of things. It wasn't any one thing. It was actually a series of things, a buildup leading to this, culminating in this video right here by this other YouTuber named Tati, another makeup YouTuber, in fact. And the video was entitled Buy Sister. It's a 43-minute video. So for those of you complaining about the length of Lou Later videos, <laughs> she... <laughs> You can head over there, all right? You can head over there and see how it's done. It was a it, it was a whole, she gave a whole backstory on her experiences with this guy, basically saying, in her opinion, he's not the best guy. He did this thing wrong, that thing wrong. He sort of disappointed me with a brand that he promoted instead of mine. Uh, she also talked about some behaviors of his that, that might be considered unsavory in... Uh, his personal relationships, how he approached personal relationships, intimate relationships. Now, if you want to dive deeper than that, I mean, it's all over the internet. But the part that I'm interested in specifically is the movement of human beings and the velocity at which this tide could turn. That you could have a situation a guy loved, presumably, to that degree that could then be turned on in such an intense way at this pace. It's unprecedented, Will. In the history of YouTube, as long as I've been here, I've never seen anything like it. Over the weekend, I couldn't stop looking at the statistics. I didn't even care so much about the story or this segment. What I cared so much about is how human beings now are looking at their subscriptions as votes as a vote, as if it's an indicator about who they are. Like, I can't possibly be associated with somebody who's now unsavory. And you had a number of celebrities as well who were following James Charles on Twitter who also unfollowed. Uh, Kardashians, as well as... Uh, um, who's the singer? Mendez? Grande, Cyrus... Jack's listing off the names. He's the celebrity guru in the house. Iggy Azalea. So the reason a lot of these people, I'm sure, were following him in the first place is he has done collabs with A-list uh, celebrities. And so they were following him. They all unfollowed too. So this is the culture now, Will. The culture is the tide turns. It all turns. It's uh, execute the man. Like, get him. Go get him. It's heavy now. It's very intense. And I wonder... If at this point, even the girl who who really who, who who really hit the gas on this one, Tati, I wonder if how she feels about the consequence. Because go to her social blade account, and what you'll see is she she absorbed she absorbed all the James Charles action. I am not lying. She added two days. She added over a million subscribers. I've been in this game for forever. I never saw it. She actually went out, out there and sucked this man's life force. 
is some this is some uh superhero marvel type stuff it's bananas that this kind of exchange could take place she went over there and took those people somehow it's if you look at the relationship it's almost the exact same number he lost that she gained is this is this combat now is this a combat platform or has it always been i don't know you know, I mean, maybe to a certain extent I've been siloed off in this community where the rules appear to be a bit different or at least uh, the behaviors. But over here, I mean, everybody seems to be relishing in it. Go get this man. Get him. I think it's important to note that guy, James Charles, whether you love him, whether you hate him, he is 19 years old. I'm not making an excuse. He's 19 years old. When you're 19, you're not... Fully formed yet? Well, we talked about it. We talk about it in here all the time. We, we think back about ourselves at, at that age, and it's like, I mean, he's obviously got the other element of being an unusual, an unusual person in uh, 19. I'm not making excuses, but the, the Tati girl, she's 37, and they were friends previously. And I feel like PewDiePie mentioned this in his video. I just I feel like that's an important thing to to know or to remember. I don't I don't I don't really know. It's like it's something to consider when you when you pile on, when you give your two cents, when you just when you want when you want to watch the thing burn. I think it's worth considering. Regard like I don't know what the guy did specifically is a bit convoluted when you watch this video, but he's obviously rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. Absolutely. No excuses on that front. But other people on YouTube, for those of you that aren't, that don't create videos for YouTube, you might not know, but like what happens is people take notes. Will, you popped open the social blade like kaboom. You knew where to go. And that's the daily thing. We're in this business. We live this life like we have to survive. And so people check stuff like this. You do this as a profession. You watch what's happening on a platform. You see where things are going, the behaviors that are taking place. People are going to notice that she absorbed him. And they're going to say, I'm going to do the same thing. Yeah, so apparently Tati's like really well-known in the industry, the makeup industry. Just wondering like if James Charles is going to come back from this. Is his career over? So her video, 30 million views, 35. Bye, sister. His video, 30 million views. Apology. No one liked his apology, apparently. Like, the like to dislike, 2.4 million dislikes. No one bought the apology. That's another whole genre of YouTube. Unbought apologies. Remember the, the, the Lisa girl or whatever? I don't, the person comes on, they give the apology, and people, it's not a good enough apology. It's like when you're a kid and you're bickering with your sibling and, 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 and your mom is like, say sorry. And then you're sorry. You know that experience? Jack knows the experience. And you're like, no, say the real, say the real sorry, man. Mean it. It's one thing about sorries. People want you to mean it. Or they don't want you to say it. And in fact, if you say it without meaning it, they'd rather you didn't say it. They'd rather you just vanished. I hope... I, I, What he did wrong? He, 
so there so he promoted a competing product of hers she felt like she helped him a lot he promoted a competing product but she came out sorry he came out and and issued a statement in which he apologized like an actually a pretty nice statement and she still went in on it and part of it has to do with this accusation that another guy made that he was trying to get with him even though he refused the other guy he said look that's not my thing that's not my cup of tea it's i don't think it's really important jack i know it's easy to get caught up in it the the key piece for me is that is the human behavior around it this need to detach yourself is his channel any less useful to them whoever signed up a day later is what it does for them any different no but what is different is their association and how they feel about their vote and when it comes to the influencer marketplace it's part of this emerging culture the idea of canceling people you're canceled it's a whole trend it it it, it gives it grants power to the end user to the individual consuming the content it allows them to decide who's canceled who's not what they agree with, what they don't, and they can keep voting. It's like a live, dynamic vote that they can say, I'm no longer with that. Now, I'm not saying that that's a bad thing or a good thing. It's, it seems like an inevitable thing. So long as we have numbers attached with success, actual followerships, then these things can be militarized, weaponized. It can become a part of the, the tactics of the greater ecosystem. I honestly can't imagine a circumstance in which another YouTuber could lose this many subscribers. This guy has lost more subscribers than many big channels have. The, the, the sheer exodus of individuals is absolutely unprecedented in my experience on the platform. And that's the key takeaway for me is that these are not subscribers anymore in, this, in the sense of they're subscribing to see the content but instead these are nominations and the people that are nominated become representatives that can be unnominated that's how the unsubscribe is being used there's entire channels will on youtube that show you can put it up right now show tati subscribers going up and james charles subscribers going down i mean you'll see it it's been live the entire weekend there's many of them, in fact. And this is all it is. This is the entire channel. And they put music on and people chat and they're like, they just want to watch it all burn down. You have the starting sub count there. It's entertainment. It becomes entertainment. It's like the Coliseum. Stick them both in. See who emerges. It's a battle. It's like sports. It's like entertainment. They are real people. Those are actual human beings. As much of an act as they might put on, I'm not sure but they are actual people. And so my thing here is, what is my thing, Will? Uh, it's, so, it's such a conflicting feeling. Like I like the idea of the being empowered to choose who you support and you don't support. But I feel like at times, there's a bit of a knee-jerk thing that goes on. Without making any excuses for anyone, there's a bit of a thing where the act can be fun. The, the, the act of hate can be fu a fun thing to engage those evil forces in yourself to say, yeah, you know what? 
I don't like that guy, you know, or girl or otherwise. And it almost, if it continuously happens, it encourages a particular thought process. In your regular life, do you cancel people? I don't know. I mean, maybe if somebody does something terrible to you, you might. But a lot of times as well, you also give people chances. A lot of times as well, you accept an apology. You know, so it will be nice to see a little bit of balance in the territory, just, just on a human level for the end users. I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, and I mean, there's not nothing, obviously, I'm, there's nothing I can do about it. But a little bit of balance in this department, I think is better for the users, for the actual people consuming the content to not just uh, relish in the, in the destruction of somebody else. Now, look, if you're just like, hey, I don't want to be associated, that's one thing. But if you relish, if you relish, that's a different thing. That's all I'm, that's my point. You, you, you don't necessarily want to take joy in other people's suffering is what I'm trying to say. I just don't think it's the healthiest thing for you as a person. There's maybe some circumstances where retribution is called for very extreme circumstances, but in most cases, you don't want to take too much joy in the destruction of others. I'm not defending either party in this case, by the way. And I said already when I started, it's, it's, I'm in over my head. Absolutely. It's not a segment that I'm intimately involved in enough. So, but I'll leave it there. I'll leave it, I'll leave it right there. Cool. What else you got, Will? Uh, on lighter note. Lighter note, let's lighten it up. I saw this tweet um, about this guy. He actually made an algorithm or software hmm. that detects cars and actually makes them invisible or at least tries to whoa so is this he's recording this through his phone right now yeah i don't know if whoa. it's real time it could be just recorded video but it looks really freaky it looks so it looks weird like all the cars are glitching so Obviously, a, it's not perfect the ai is able to recognize what a car is yeah exactly the shape of it the color the shadows it knows what a car is Mm -hmm. this is insane this is mostly a visual thing so if you're listening to this you got to go watch the clip you got to go watch the video on uh, on the youtube channel but essentially what's happening is it's a video like a person walking down the street shooting a video and every time a car pops up in the frame it's like blurred out beyond belief and it almost blends in like the surroundings take the place of the car kind of like some sort of digital camo effect uh, invisibility cloak in a video game type of effect. It's uh, it's pretty wild. It makes you, I get your imagination going about the potential application for it. It reminds me of the Black Mirror episode where, like, you can actually cancel out someone. Uh huh. Like, like they if just you become static, and then you can't hear them, you can't see them. They they're so, just like a static silhouette. So your experience that you have, if you were, let's say, wearing these lenses, you could mute or block right. uh, things you didn't want to see or hear from your yeah. field of vision. Seems like that that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to eliminate all the cars so you can just walk down the street without 
hearing. Sure, you get to have your own. It seems dangerous, Will. (laughs) It it does, yeah. (laughs) Especially with cars. Let's eliminate the cars uh, because (laughs) I want to have a nice peaceful walk, Will, until you run into one of them. Uh, It's cool. I could see a more immediate application in the sense of things like... uh, having to blur out license plates, like if the algorithm could pick up license plates, which obviously you can't or aren't supposed to publish in certain circumstances, it could pick things that, uh, yeah, the private elements, if you're like a Google Maps type of thing, mm-hmm. in real time, it could it could discern those those items, but definitely freaky in the sense of if you had some lenses on that could change your reality in an augmented fashion by eliminating things you didn't want to have in your existence, including potentially people. Because mm-hmm. why could they not be mapped equally just like cars? It's a cool clip, Will. Well done. Very interesting. You're always on the AI kind of robotic side of things. Yeah, I love this stuff. You're in that realm. Oh my God. Wait, I almost forgot. Because since I'm showing willie do some love right now i got i've got to show you something that a fan made and sent to me on twitter have you seen this i don't maybe you didn't you have to go to my lou later twitter and i guess it would be somebody tweeted it at me and you're about to be very afraid you're going to be going to be made very afraid is there a way to check some things that are tweeted at me at at lou later I may have to just send you the link right now, but I think you should. It was somebody tweeted it at me. What it was? Oh, there you go. You found it. Go up right there. Oh. <laughs> I swear I did not commission this. I do not even understand how this thing came into being. Somebody has done some sort of merging of James Charles from the earlier topic with Willie Do. This user, DJ Dom Cook. Jesus. I mean, you got to see this. You got to go watch the video if you're listening only okay, to the audio right. form. <laughs> this is the scariest thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, that's. Uh, I don't understand. Don't it looks mostly like James Charles, but how does it also look like you? Why? What part of it is you? I mean, James I Charles the, featuring Willie Do. The big lips. I don't know. <laughs> the lips. Then no, he has big lips as well. I don't know. It's this. It's it's absolutely scary. A little side note. I just. Uh, I felt there was a need to show you that. Willie do getting some love in the weirdest way possible. It's random. What a time to be alive. I appreciate it, though. Okay, he appreciates it. Whatever weird artwork you want to send, Will. Apparently, you are now... uh, Yeah. This is weird, man. The whole deep fakes, like... Mm -hmm. Superimposing other people's faces. It's... Yeah, the Snapchat filter that just came out with everybody's a girl and... It's yeah. a weird. Uh, here's 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 the guy, Danny Winget. Oh my goodness. He's a woman now. <laughs> Not bad, actually. Yeah. One of the better ones that I've seen. But just. Well, I don't know. Why is it captivating? Why does everybody have to do it? I. It's very confusing. It's a very confusing thing, but it'll never end. Technology doesn't care. It just uh, it presents itself. It emerges. It presents, and we're left to deal with the consequences. Whether it's a car that disappears in real time or Danny as uh, Danette. What's the, Danielle? Danny as Danielle. Danielle. There's there Danielle. Go. Well done, Danny. That's uh, that's pretty wild. 
You got any other topics, Willie? Do uh, you want to move on to questions? Or we right got. We, yeah, let's. Yeah, let's do some questions. Good all idea. Right, all, right. <clears throat> all right. Do you ever get annoyed by the constant Apple and Android fans battling for supremacy? It does my head in that any article, report, or advert is just littered with attempts to put each other down. Why is this such an issue with smartphones? You want to know something? It, it might be the the Tati James Charles thing. Like, that people, they just want to be in camps. They want to be weaponized. They want their, they want to be a part of some battle, like where we have some predisposition for conflict. It's possible, maybe even probable. Uh, I get comments all the time personally that like I'm way too harsh with Apple. I think if you're a market leader in the space, well-established, a very popular choice, still the most popular choice in North America for any one particular smartphone brand, then you you should be scrutinized at a different different to a different degree. But like the idea, at least in my case, that I care all that much is kind of funny. Anybody who actually knows me knows that's obviously not the case. In fact, right now, I'm using I'm using an iPhone right now. So it's kind of funny. It's just people will pick and choose. They'll wait for the right moment to uh to 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 put you in one camp or the other because I think it just makes the comprehension easier it makes the decision easier it, it, it makes a lot of things easier to just contrast make it as contrasting as possible black and white Apple Android choose your side let's argue kind of thing it's obviously far more nuanced than that and there's there's way more to it just like a lot of things is the, the, the more you zoom out the more you recognize and realize how these two platforms benefit from each other this guy's question specifically has to do with me ever wanting to uh bash my head in relating i do i mean sometimes it's just it just gets boring more than anything like it's not even necessarily that i get mad about it or it just gets boring it's like it gets old there's interesting stuff happening all the time and uh i have to admit though like, I feel there are certain points in time throughout the Unbox Therapy history where I may have con contributed to some of this by just, like, playing it up and having fun with it, which at the time seems innocent, but then you recognize the the scale of it and how many people... They, what, what is the message that you're sending out? And I just feel like, in general, that channel up there, Unbox Therapy, because of the fact that it's edited and it's clearly defined what the videos are going to be and it's so product-centric that the package that comes out sometimes doesn't fully encapsulate all the nuance associated with the subject matter. And I think that's a big reason for why this content exists down here and why this channel started and why it's kind of freeing to express yourself here. I feel a lot less of that down here because I feel like I can explain myself a little bit more. So there, there's probably some content that I wouldn't make today now knowing that how important it is for me to fully explain myself to 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 get the most comprehensive mes message across possible and you just can't sometimes fit that into a headline and you can't fit that into a five minute package sometimes and when, once you start editing for that package you can't help but play up the drama you can't help but play up the more 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 typical uh, uh, com components which may may lead people to oversimplify their interpretation because you've oversimplified your message. So yes, sometimes I find it to be annoying, but mostly I find it to be boring. That said, I don't think you're ever going to get rid of it. I think the Apple versus Android thing is here to stay, just like uh, 
your favorite sports team versus the next is here to stay. People want to be fans of things. We attach ourselves to things in order to help figure out our, our own identities. And I think it's part of being a person to like want your stuff to be the best stuff or your team to be the best team or yourself to be your best self. I, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's, it's hard to take the competition out of people. And in some ways the competition is, is a, is a good thing about people. Like competition is precisely what, what, what breeds amazing outcomes many times. So I think the main thing is to encourage the competition, have your selection, but then don't let the thing devolve into like something personal or, or hateful or whatever. Like that, that gets weird at that point. It's complete. It's unnecessary. Like you can have like the difference between warfare and a sporting match. You know, at the end of a sporting event, you go and you shake hands. It's called being sportsmanlike. It's like, we understand the rules of the contest. And if somebody's got something good and they did better in that circumstance, good, fantastic. You did it right. Shake your hand. We'll be back next time. That's one thing that comes out of sports. That's really, you know, the, a very positive element. Not so much the outcome of the game, but the contents of it, how it was played, how you carry yourself. And I think you can actually bring some of that even into this contest here. Whereas you can have your selection, but you can also understand the other one. You can also, you can also have some sportsmanship with it and carry, carry yourself the right way, even when conversing about it. Like, that's my choice, but I hear you on the other thing. Now, that's the best. That's the best type of competition in my experience. You got one more? We'll do one more question. One more. I should mention as well, if you want to send your question in to this show, it's will at loulater.com. Uh, he's, he's trying to get to them. It's a lot of great questions out there in the universe. So if you want to get yours in, just hit his email. Hey, Lou and Will, I just wanted to ask, what do you guys think will be the future of wearable technology? Are there any products that you are curious to see? What is the wearable tech of your dreams? We just saw the Louis Vuitton. Uh, is that wearable? You carried a purse? <laughs> is that the future? I don't think that's the future. Uh, I mean, the, the, the wearable tech of the dreams for me is actually climate based. Like I understand we want to put screens on everything and turn everything into a phone or some sort of communicator or web browser, but our devices do a good job of that. And I'm, I'm probably already connected too much. Not that that's going to change, but it seems like the future of that type of tech is even more embedded than wearable. It's almost like a contact lens or in your bloodstream or some, some like merging of the biology and the tech of the human being. Some, some sort of, uh, what is the word for that, Will? Not, it's, uh, there's, a, there's an actual word, singularity. Yeah, you remember that word? That seems where that stuff is going. So on the clothing front, the wearable front, what will be cool to me is better control over the properties of the material that you're wearing. Possibly some tech infusion that allows you to, for example, change the, the, the breathability. This seems really hard, but like imagine a jacket that you could like make more breathable if all of a sudden the day got too warm or you could up the war warmness on it. Like we've had a few products come through here that actually have heaters built into them, but they're a bit clunky and... They're hit and miss. The gloves were pretty good. 
pretty well done, but they still have a giant battery in them. If battery tech could shrink down and clothing could meet more demands of cl climate, a, a climate that changes throughout the day, that could be really cool. That could be like a no-brainer. Like, of course, I'm going to have the shirt or the pants or whatever it is that have adjustability. Now, that's way in the future. But he did say dream. There are materials, by the way. There's material technology like Gore-Tex and things that they, they have some pretty amazing and different attributes. But I think it can go a step further. We can electrify these things. We need batteries to shrink. and They need to become less heavy. And... That, that should open up the gates. That's my take on that. Anyhow, uh, it's been fun. As usual, we covered a lot. We went all over the place. We went everywhere. There was YouTube stuff. There was sports stuff. Uh, there, sometimes you just got to cover some stuff because it just speaks to you on some level. And there's always going to be a tech focus on this show specifically. And I feel like there are tech elements even to these other stories because YouTube itself is a, is a tech platform in the sense that they're always experimenting with us just because it's software and, and algorithms. It's, I mean, there's some pretty sophisticated stuff going on. And so the James Charles story, for, for example, I'm looking at it from more the implications, like the, the, what it means for the platform as a whole. You know, you, you got to believe that algorithms are, are already examining this stuff, figuring out how to suggest what to suggest, what is going on, like what, they got 30 million views. Both of those two channels are doing bigger numbers than they've ever done. Uh, you're looking at, on his channel, he goes from about 2 million views a day, maybe one and a half on an, as an average, up to 20 million views the last two days, already 7 million today. And the same thing on Tati's channel. So it's, it's unprecedented times. The implications here are massive. And I just feel like it's worth the analysis, even outside the realm of the back and forth drama, just between two human beings. Like, look at what happened. The real story in this case for me is behind the story. So we covered that. We covered a lot. It's been wonderful. It's another day. Today is Monday. Are we going to be back tomorrow? Why not? Let's do it. There you have it.